welcome to Proud to Be, the show that highlights veterans, military personnel, and family members published in Proud to Be, writing by American Warriors, a creative writing anthology that preserves and shares our nation's military experience through poetry, fiction, essay, interviews, and photography. I'm your host, Lisa Carrico, and I'm excited to present our inaugural episode of Proud to Be. Our guest for this episode is Jay Hardin, a Vietnam War veteran who writes poetry, prose, and songs about love, war, and personal growth. Jay is also known as the grandfather of Proud to Be. He has been published in all nine volumes, and today we will hear some of his thoughts and stories behind his PTB contributions. Jay, thank you so much for your time and for braving the first episode. <laughs> Well, I'm happy to have lived long enough to be able to help you, Lisa, to inaugurate this important podcast. I'm old school, but uh, I'm still open to new adventures. <laughs> I always feel like when I talk to you, you're up to something new. Let's start with your service to this country. Uh, where were you born and raised, and how did you find yourself serving in the Vietnam War? How old were you? Um, what were you doing at the time? Well, I was born in the Deep South in a, a town called Fitzgerald, Georgia, founded in 1895 as a community of Yankee and Confederate veterans. I grew up early on learning that I had a lot of freedom and peace that I took for granted without having to pay for. My family was in public service. My father was a state representative and a state senator and later the county agricultural agent. My mother was a school teacher and my brother became a chief of police later and then my sister worked for the Federal Reserve. I was in advanced ROTC at the University of Georgia because I wanted to fly and got commissioned a second lieutenant when I graduated. Then I went through three flight schools and at the age of 24, I found myself on Guam navigating a B-52. And Jay, just for the audience out there, um, Guam served as a major base for U.S. air power during the Vietnam War, correct? It served as one of three, uh, two other bases. One was in Utapau, Thailand, and the other was at Kadena Air Base in Okinawa. Okay, so you were on Guam. Um, I am curious, um, why did you choose flight school? Since a kid, I've always envied the hawks and the eagles and I wanted to fly and re recently I found uh, a quote from Leonardo da Vinci that expressed it better. He said that once you have tasted flight you will forever walk the earth with your eyes turned skyward for there you have been and there you will always long to return. And I just always wanted to fly. <laughs> uh, so that motivated me to, to get the government to pay for me to fly. <laughs> and they actually paid me $125 a month flight pay and $125 a month combat pay to play with uh, a toy 
a B-52, and <laughs> I would have paid them. <laughs> you know, the only difference between men and boys is the price of their toys. And I had this wonderful mistress, the B-52, who, who took care of me and I took care of her. And now she's in a museum in England forever. She's going to outlive me. And I got to see her a few years ago and touch her and they opened her up and let me sit in my seat again. It was very emotional. <laughs> That's beautiful. Uh, does this lady have a name? Does this plane have a name? <laughs> 6669. They didn't let us name our airplanes uh, like they did in World War II. So she was 6669. Now she's there and all polished and gleaming and uh, <laughs> she's the centerpiece of the American Air Museum in Duxford, England. And they built a whole museum around her. She was so on the cover of Air Force magazine and my wife Shona, who was British, said, is that your airplane? And I said, yes. And she said, we should go meet your metal mama. <laughs> so we flew to England and I wrote a story called My Metal Mama, which got published about her. And I left a copy of my logbook and a copy of the story at the, at the museum. <laughs> and they opened her up and I got to sit in my seat again. It was, and I was wearing my flight jacket, the same one I wore before, I still had it. So it was, you wouldn't think a piece of metal would have that much emotion, but uh, it was, very personal. Um, and Metal Mama was actually published in one of the proud to be. So now I have more of a story behind that piece. So thank you. Um, so Jay, what year did you enter the Vietnam War? How long did you serve? Uh, what were your assigned duties? And perhaps if you're comfortable sharing, um, what is your strongest memory of Vietnam? And maybe what did you learn from your wartime experience? Well, I was there from 68 to 69 for 479 days. Flew 63 missions, about 400 hours. I had uh, some hor horrible memories and some wonderful memories. The horrible memory was that uh, I took place in a strike of 60 B-52s on one target one night. The bomb damage assessment came back a few days later saying that we had killed 10,000 of the enemy. At about the same time, I got a letter from my wife uh, saying that we were going to have our first child. So I had a, I couldn't reconcile this new life with all the lives I took. So. That's how, that's just one example of how trauma from war can uh, occur and stay with you for a lifetime. Never undo what I did over there. And I have to come to terms with it and make peace. Um, and just for anyone that's listening, um, I believe you are talking about uh, the bombing over Cambodia and if I read correctly, it was a powerful and massive drop with a lot of destruction. So 
I can't imagine what that must feel like. And also hearing from your wife at the same time. So um, thank you for sharing that with us. If you wouldn't mind kind of following up to um, after experiencing that and experiencing war, um, what did you learn from your wartime experience? Well, uh, nobody wins in war, in my view. And war just begets war. Uh, you know, and it rewards old white men here in this country who have invested in the military industrial complex. So it's, war is quite profitable for people, certain people. It's not profitable for the young who have to go to fight for the old who stay behind. It would be a lot better if the young stayed behind and made the old go fight for them. Maybe we would learn our lesson. Um, Jay, I feel like nothing can prepare a person for uh, such an experience and especially not the emotions that come from the memories that carry over, uh, especially from your mission um, in Cambodia. Uh, there are several pieces in Proud to Be where you grapple with how war changes a person and how one struggles to find oneself after the fact. Uh, would you be willing to read an excerpt from No Wonder War from PTB6, from Proud to Be Six? I wrote a poem called No Wonder War. No wonder war destroys and warriors long to return to the time we never did. No wonder we are now disconnected from others and our own wisdom. No wonder no one feels victory in their own skin. We wander around in civilian clothes looking for something we will never find. For it is only inside us, always waiting, perhaps past a lifetime. If I ever figure out how to fall in love with me again, then I will shed my safeless shields and become a creator of peace in all. Thank you, Jay. That's such a powerful piece. Uh, would you be willing to talk a little bit about what this piece means to you? Well, I, I was 24, but I was a very immature young man. <laughs> I uh, thought I was doing the right thing for my country. Uh, my father didn't serve in World War II. He was exempted because he was in a critical skill helping farmers to bring in the peanut crop for uh, the army. And his father was disabled and my great-grandfather was a Confederate uh, war veteran who wrote poetry and letters home, which I found. And so we have that parallel path. Yeah, it was uh, something I felt I had to do to pay for all the things I took for granted because my father hadn't and his father hadn't. So I was willing to do that. You know, I really, at first I thought I was fighting for my country, but I realized like my great grandfather that 
I was really fight, fighting for my family so they wouldn't have to fight. And so far it's proven true. My son is too tall to serve in the military and my daughter didn't serve. And so far my grandchildren haven't served. So if I can keep them from going to war, I will feel like I accomplished something. You and I have personally talked uh, about this experience on how to best resolve um, these memories and maybe even refine oneself years after war. Um, would you be willing to express to our listeners how you've turned to personal growth-based activities, uh, what some of those activities are, and what effect this has had on your healing and journey? Well, I, I, uh, I was in therapy at the VA, and my therapist said, why don't you join our therapy group? And I said, oh no, I'm not gonna be in a room of strangers and spill my guts. And besides, I'm an officer and they're all grunts. <laughs> but he said there were two other officers in the group. And so he said, just come one time. So I said, okay, I'll come one time. So I did come one time and we had this common bond of shared uh, struggle in combat and uh, they were my brothers. Uh, we had, we were, we were connected. So I, I stayed in the group and that was my first attempt at healing. Then later, uh, well, I married a, a spiritual healer and she helped me and then um, encouraged me to go to India uh, where I met my guru at his ashram and I spent eight months there doing pranayama, which is breathing exercises and advanced meditation to help heal myself. So I, I've done those things. And of course I, I write and I sing and I play and <laughs> I paint. Uh, I paint portraits. So that's my way out of hell. You know, I, I don't want to take medication if I can avoid it. That just, you know, dulls me and turns me into a robot. So I want to try to heal myself. And everyone has told me, all the professionals, that there's no cure for PTSD. And I choose to disbelieve them. Uh, and I want to be the poster child for the first person to heal themselves of PTSD. Uh, so far, I haven't achieved that goal, <laughs> but uh, it doesn't keep me from trying. <laughs> well, I've always admired uh, somebody that also practices yoga and finding ways to, to heal on a spiritual level. Um, I'm always inspired by everything uh, that you do uh, to help uh, with the PTSD. Um, so for you, I know writing such a big part of that. Um, how, does, how does writing help with your PTSD? I have nightmares. One time I woke up in midair beside the bed and fell to the floor. Um, I thrash and moan and mutter and what I do is I get up and try to write that down. And when I write it down and lock it 
in black ink on white paper, I can let it go. I write <laughs> in self-defense. I have since 1990 written um, over 1600 poems. And I don't know, maybe um, several hundred essays all related to love and war and personal growth. So that's my way out of hell. I know for many other veterans that I have met that write, it's, it's a powerful way uh, to, to work through these images that you might have in waking life or in a dream state, and it can be very cathartic. I'm just happy that you have shared some of these poems with us and some of your works over the years with Proud to Be. What inspired you to start writing about your military experience and how has that impacted you? So in other words, why do you write? I write because I have to. Uh, it's my form of therapy that doesn't require a therapist or a medication. And I can do it whenever I want, wherever I want, if I want. And nobody knows. And I don't have to share it unless I want to. And sometimes I throw it away. But sometimes I read it the next day or the next week and I go, wow, who wrote that? Uh, that's not bad. And I don't, re I really don't remember writing it because I'm just writing from flow. I actually wrote and presented uh, a writing course for veterans called Writing from Flow. And I gave it at the St. Louis Public Library and trying to convince other veterans that, as Shona told me, better out than in. And that's true, you know, it's better out than in. So sometimes I scream in, in an empty room and I feel better. <laughs> or scream in a car when I'm driving down the road and, and I feel better, so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Before you really started writing about your military experience, um, had family members or anyone ever asked you about your Vietnam experience? No, no one ever has asked, still has asked me uh, what was Vietnam like? And I kept waiting and they never did. So I said it anyway, <laughs> I, had to, I had to get it out. And I got it out through the written word. So if anybody ever wants to know maybe a great grandson years from now wants to know it's there for him to find or her. Well, the invitation is now out there folks to ask Jay about his Vietnam experience. So permission is out there. Well, we appreciate that you uh, found Proud to Be and that you have been publishing. Um, I believe that you've had 26 total contributions so far. So that's pretty amazing. Um, you also just published your first book. Uh, would you like to mention uh, the name of that and kind of a brief overview and where people can find that? I'm married to the most amazing women. And one of them was um, a British child of war. Her father was killed in World War II in Italy. And she was uh, 
a spiritual counselor, an ordained minister, um, Olympic dancer, Formula Two mechanic, yada, yada, yada. She uh, had all these talents and a prolific spiritual artist. I wanted to tell her life story and our love story. So I wrote this book called Spirit on Fire, a story of love, art, and healing, which is um, on Amazon and Lulu. She was uh, the second great love of my life and a great profound spiritual influence on me. Um, I am very thankful that uh, Proud to Be uh, has brought us together over the years. I have seen you read several pieces in front of live audiences. We even once presented together in Kansas City on the value of veterans writing. Uh, on a personal note, our conversations over the years have provided me with the understanding and courage to ask my father about his Vietnam War experience. Uh, in return, this has allowed for us to connect on a deeper level. Um, so thank you for that encouragement and for helping me know how to ask maybe some of the right questions. Um, but there's a piece that you wrote in Proud to Be Two called Raging River that um, is relatable uh, to this topic of familiar relationships with our fathers. But uh, would you like to read a few lines and talk about why you wrote this piece? I wrote it about my father. He was a self-made man. He came from a farm and barefoot in bib overalls behind a mule plowing. And he said, I don't want to farm the farm. So he went away to college and eventually became the president of the University of Georgia class of 1936. This is a part of my poem about my father called Raging River. Tall and handsome he was, my father, a silent man on the other bank of a raging river, more absent than present, even when around. I knew him beyond arm's length. I knew his outer story and what he had done despite his father, a man he never talked about and I never knew. I did not find my father's inner story, so I could not tell him mine. I tried to reach across my raging river. I longed for a trusted guide, but had to guide myself as he probably did. I, I wrote this poem to memor memorialize him in our relationship but really to communicate with him across time what I did not and could not say to him when he was alive. You know, writing can be this very powerful thing, whether it's getting old memories out or getting a chance to say the things that we might never get to say. Um, so thank you for sharing that. Um, it's very difficult for me to pick a favorite piece, um, but there's one essay in particular that really stands out for me. Uh, it's published in Proud to be Five and it's called Unboot Camp, uh, an imagined TED Talk. Um, 
while we do not have time to read the whole piece, would you mind reading uh, an excerpt from that? Uh, yes. Um, there are 18 other men like me in our weekly combat therapy group. After more than 45 years, none of us have fully come home from Vietnam, all stuck in the past to different degrees. This need not be. Our government has mastered the art and science of turning a teenager into a human killing machine. Our government needs to put a like effort into returning us to our previous state of humanity as closely as possible. What I'm talking about is a military unboot camp while you're still in uniform. There's a couple of things just even in that short passage stuck in the past to different degrees, like just shows that healing for people takes different times. And uh, also this just invokes such a very vivid image on how the military is very effective in training its soldiers for war, but maybe not so good at deprogramming a soldier for civilian life. Um, would you mind talking about why and what you hope comes from writing a piece like this? Well, I don't see a reason why the government can't deprogram us at least as well as they programmed us, but they've never tried. No one's ever demanded that. And maybe, maybe I'm the first one to, to do that, but I would love for them to try. Um, I think we owe it to the next generation. You know, it's not surprising that there's a lot of doom and gloom that comes with fighting a war. Um, is there a moment in your military experience that brings up a fond memory or a glimmer of hope? Uh, I know for my father, he loves talking about some of the men that he served with and that one time he saw Bob Hope. <laughs> uh, so do you have any similar stories that you would like to share or something that's just a fond memory that at least when you can look back, you can well, funny you hope from that? Um, I was on Guam just gotten down from a combat mission and Bob Hope was giving his last show of the season, a Chris, the Christmas show. And they had reserved a place right in front of the stage for flight crews. And I came down and I was in my flight suit and the stage was about six feet high. So I couldn't see back far in the stage, but I could see Bob Hope when he came up and there was Anne Margaret and on the bank, there was this sea of white, which were white hospital beds and white sheets with all the, the wounded veterans that they had rolled out onto this gentle hill so they could watch the show. Oh, wow. Uh, and I stood up at the end, we started singing Silent Night And I stood up and I looked Anne Margaret straight in the eye and she looked me straight in the eye and I had on my aviator sunglasses, my flight cap and my flight suit and I was weeping. Oh, 
you can't imagine what it's like to sing Silent Night acapella with thousands of people outside. Oh, it's just, it was just profound. So beautiful. I couldn't, uh, as a combatant, I couldn't cry. So I made sure I had all my aviator sunglasses. And I'll, I'll never forget that. I wrote her a letter later and uh, told her about that, but I never got a response. But I wrote it. <laughs> I needed to write it, so I wrote it. That's great. What do you hope that others, maybe veterans or even civilians, gain from reading your Proud to Be contributions? Well, I hope I give voice to my brother veterans who find it difficult to speak and impossible to write. So I try to write for all of us, you know, and maybe their family, their wife or their children or grandchildren will read that and relate it to their, their veteran. And so I, I want to try to be a voice for other people, not just for myself. Proud to be um, makes for a great resource, um, not only to preserve these share, uh, preserve these stories, but um, also a way to provide understanding for um, maybe folks that haven't served, but also provide um, support for those that have or have had military families, um, so that they can read these stories and know that they're not alone or that there's similar um, components to some of these pieces or themes. Um, so we do hope that this book provides some connectivity for, um, for military personnel to be able to relate to shared experiences. So we appreciate that you have um, helped with these goals for uh, Proud to Be. So Jay, thank you for your time, your wisdom, and for sharing your creativities and stories. You're so kind. It was my honor. <laughs> if you would like to read Jay Harden's pieces in their entireties, uh, you can purchase volumes one through nine of Proud to Be at mohumanities.org backslash veterans. This podcast is brought to you by the Missouri Humanities. I'm Lisa Carrico, and we hope you will tune in for future episodes of Proud to Be as we interview PTB contributors to discover the stories behind their PTB contributions. Thank you so much. Thank you.